0: Welcome to Impact and Freedom with your host, Jason Feltman.
1: All right, welcome to Impact and Freedom. I'm Jason Feltman, and today I am with the awesome Kirk Adams, PhD. Kirk is a former president of the American Foundation for the Blind, and he is now a consultant and champion. For Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion, Helping Businesses Create co- uh, Career Pathways for People with Disabilities. Awesome. Welcome, Kirk. I'm so excited to have you today. Yeah,
0: it's great to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah. As a fellow West Coaster, um, how's the weather up in uh, Washington today?
0: It's beautiful here in Seattle today. 77, a slight breeze. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. And, oh, uh, when, it, when it's uh, When it's sunny here, it's a great place to be.
1: Yep, I, I hear you. I'm in Huntington Beach, and same thing, man. We, we haven't had uh, this kind of weather in, in a while, and it's gorgeous today. So awesome, awesome. Kirk, I, I really want to kind of get into your backstory, um, and uh, just take us through your whole your whole sure. journey.
0: Sure, okay. Well, um, I'm a totally blind person. I was born sighted, and both of my retinas detached when I was in kindergarten. And my parents, I was born when they were in college, they both became teachers, but uh, they, were, they were young, you know, 25, 26 years old when my retina's detached, I became totally blind overnight. You know, they had never met a blind person in their life until, you know, I woke up in the hospital that way. And um, they, were, they were told, you know, Kirk can't come back to the neighborhood school, he needs to go to the uh, state school for blind kids. So we were, they were living, uh, we were living North of Seattle. They visited the Washington state state school for the blind in Vancouver, which is near Portland. They were very unimpressed with what they saw there. As far as academic activity, my uh, retinal surgeon was at the university of Oregon Medi- medical school in Portland. Someone on their staff said uh, the Oregon state school for the blind is great. Uh, so they visited there and thought it was great. And so, um, you know, as, a, as a six-year-old, I didn't quite get what a big deal it was, but they quit their jobs and moved the family to Oregon so I could go to the Oregon State School for the Blind, which I did for first, second, and third grade and learned how to read and write Braille and travel confidently with uh, a long white cane and type on a typewriter so I could, uh, you know, have the skills I needed to, to go into public school, which I did in fourth grade in a little town called Silverton, Oregon. And I went all the way through public school after that, the only blind student in any of the schools I went to. Um, my dad was a high school basketball coach. We lived in kind of smallish rural towns in the Pacific Northwest. Um, went, went to college, uh, got a full ride scholarship. My parents had very high expectations of, of me, expected A's on the report card. Uh, expected us, uh, so, that, My dad expected his children to uh, be involved in athletics and after-school activities and those types of things. So I did all that. And I I comment on that because um, only 35% of working-age blind adults are working. Um, Oh, wow. And uh, As compared to 77% of uh, the general population working-age people are working. And um, there, are, there are some predictors of success uh, for employment as a as a blind adult. And one of them is having strong blindness skills, which I got in first, second, third grade at the School for the Blind. And another is high expectations from families and schools. And, you know, not every blind kid uh, gets those two things. So I, I got those two things through no doing of my own. But then I did graduate from college. With a degree in economics, I um, was a Phi Beta Kappa and a cum laude, and and all those good things. And then could not find a job. I applied to a couple of grad schools, got in, but I uh, decided I wanted to marry my college sweetheart and buy a house and have kids and do do those things. And I applied for many many jobs, and I um, would send off my resume and cover letter. I'd get a telephone interview. And then I'd be invited in for the in-person interview as one of the finalists. And I'd walk in with my uh, long white cane and my uh, slate and stylus to take notes in Braille. And the confusion would set in over the, the room uh, where you know, employers couldn't imagine how uh, a blank person could possibly do uh, the job that I was applying for. So then I started um, – there was a thing – there's a point in job search for a person with a visible disability. When do you disclose that you have a disability? And at first I wasn't disclosing. I was just sitting in my cover letter and resume like anyone would. And then when I had this experience over and over of, of, uh, not being hired, I, I started disclosing and saying, uh, Hey, I've been blind since first grade. Here's the tools and techniques I use. Here's how I'll do the job. And uh, then then I wasn't even getting the phone interview. So oh. many many blind people f- and people with other significant disabilities face the same sort of dynamic. And the uh, unemployment rate has been terrible uh, for decades. Remains terrible. And that's what I'm devoted to changing. I've I've devoted uh, my my first ten years out of college. I did get a job. I sent a resume uh, to a small family owned securities brokerage firm in Seattle. The sales manager happened to also have gone to Whitman college was also an econ major. He called some of the professors that we both had had. He was like 12, 15 years older and said, you know, could, could Kirk sell tax-free bonds over the phone? And they said, yeah, of course he could. <laughs> so I did that for 10 years, a straight commission, you know, 50 cold calls a day, every day, which build builds strong, strong bones. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, did those things, got married, uh, bought a home, had, had our, our two amazing children who are great grown adults and great citizens now. And then when I was 30, I, uh, just got very clear. I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. And I, uh, I pivoted into the nonprofit sector, uh, moved into leadership, um, went to sc- back to school, got a master's degree in not-for-profit leadership and really have devoted myself to, um, leading organizations that create career opportunities for people with disabilities people who are blind specifically I ran the lighthouse for the blind here in Seattle which employs about 250 blind and deafblind people wow. in really cool social enterprise businesses including aerospace manufacturing making parts for all the Boeing aircraft um, did that was was uh, joined the board of the American Foundation for the blind and and had the opportunity to lead that iconic organization, which was Helen Keller's organization. She was the brand ambassador there for 45 years. And that uh, led my wife and I to move to New York City in 2016 and uh, had that experience. <laughs> uh, as a totally blind person, learning to use the New York subway system was a, was an amazing challenge, but uh, oh. I did that. And then we uh, I closed the New York offices and um, took the organization largely virtual before the pandemic, opened a little headquarters in Crystal City, Arlington, Virginia. So we moved there. And then after six years, um, it was a financial turnaround situation. Uh, I had to do a lot of hard things as far as eliminating people's positions and uh, closing programs and selling buildings. But I, I, I did what I was hired to do. I got it turned around, headed in the right direction. I uh, moved back home to Seattle, and uh, tomorrow, July 1st, marks one year of me being a consultant and working with companies who have um, committed to accelerating inclusion of people with disabilities in their workforce for strategic business reasons because diversity, equity, inclusion makes for better, stronger companies. And um, people with disabilities... Such as myself, living with a disability every day, you have uh, ample opportunity to develop characteristics that employers want, which things like grit and resilience and um, perseverance and creative problem solving and the ability to work in teams and self motivation and, and and those things. So, you know, employers who get that, who understand they can beat their competition um, in the race for talent by intentionally including people with disabilities. Th- those are the people I'm working with.
1: I love that, man. What a story. Um, first, I want to go back to your parents like that. That had to be. I mean, I'm a parent of four. Um, uh-huh. That had to be really difficult because you just want the best for your child. And right and to have something come in their way that you can't help and, and know. Right. That it's, I love that they took you to Oregon. Yeah. Um, Invested. It sounds like they invested a lot in you to make sure that, hey, he's going to be okay. Um,
0: Yeah, I was I will say say they didn't do a whole lot on the psychosocial side of things, but they certainly maintained high expectations and expected me to to live my life the the same way as, you know, my sighted brother and sister and the neighborhood kids. And, you know, yeah. To come home, come home when it gets dark. Yeah.
1: You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, so man. it was good. So what are some of the things, um, and I just, I know this is kind of off topic, but I'm sure no that there are some parents that, um, have children with disabilities. I mean, what are some yeah. of the things that would help parents to that yeah. coming from a, your situation? It just, yeah. What, 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 well, I think,
0: I think, um, Community is such a huge thing. Like I said, I'm, I was always the only blind kid in school. Uh, we didn't know any blind people. I was never exposed to any you know, successful, thriving blind adults. It was, it was really sink or swim and pretty isolating, especially like, like um, middle school, high school. In the towns I lived in, when kids turned 16, they all got driver's licenses and uh, some sort of job which I you know, didn't get either, but um, I'd say connect. And, and it's so much easier now with the, with internet and other tools to find um, parents that have kids with your same condition. Um, their kids may be a little older. They could have gone through a bunch of this stuff uh, for blind people. There's a great uh, for families with blind kids. There's a great website called family connect mm. where you can search by the visual condition you know find families that have kids that that have your your child same visual condition um form community there are uh for every disability there are advocacy groups in blindness there's National Federation of the Blind American Council of the Blind they have chapters throughout the country you could join so that's that's number 1 is find find some community because it it's just you know it's pretty random um how disability um occurs across the population. So uh, it's not, not unique to my family that, that there was no real connection uh, with other people who are blind. So I I'd say that's, that's number one.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, the, I mean, and I think that is such good advice for anybody like never be on an Island alone because there's, it doesn't matter what any of us have gone through. There's somebody else that has, and there, you know, it's, you get so much help just, knowing that there's other people in our situation and talking and supporting each other is huge.
0: Yeah. A little story. When I was in high school, um, Snohomish, Washington, um, there was probably about 30 of us who were kind of the college bound group. So my senior year, you know, first period, we all went to physics. Second period, we all went to math analysis. Third period, we all went to chemistry and I walked in and the chemistry teacher was like, no, no, no you cannot take chemistry that's a safety issue you know go to go to the office have them you know find you something else to do third period so i i sat in the library and just did homework third period my senior year um i did not i didn't really know how to advocate for myself um my parents like i said are both teachers i went home you know quite upset and told them and they're like well if mr so and so says then that's that's the way it is but now that I been out in the world and, you know, running the American Foundation for the Blind, of course, now I've met blind people who have PhDs in chemistry. I've met blind people who teach chemistry. I've discovered that there's a whole world out there of science, technology, engineering, and math um, tools and techniques for people who are blind. But I, we just didn't have any exposure to any, any of that. So really didn't know how to deal with that situation. So, um, if you have a blind kid, don't, don't find yourself in that situation. <laughs> Make sure yeah. you uh, connect with, uh, um, other blind people, successful blind adults, people who've figured it out.
1: What are some of the things that helped you along the way really get plugged into the work for it? Cause I, I can imagine that's gotta be one of the toughest parts is once you get out of school, I mean, you're acclimated yeah. in school. Yeah. at some point, and then you get out of school and it must feel like, holy crap, what do I do now? Yep. Like, especially if no one gives you a chance.
0: Yeah. Um, that's a really tough one. So early work experiences is, is a strong predictor of success uh, in employment as an adult. So get, getting something on the resume and actually volunteer work is just as strong as prediction. Predictor is paid work. So I tell young blind people, you know, get involved and volunteer. Anything you're interested in, there's some sort of group, association, council, um, join it. You know, volunteer to step into some sort of leadership role. Um, use it as a networking platform. So to, to get some traction somewhere. And uh, volunteering is a great way to do that. Um, I after 10 years of selling tax-free bonds on straight commission, I got the what color is your parachute book out of the talking book and braille library and followed every instruction. And, you know, that led me to the point where, um, I got clear, I should be in the nonprofit sector leadership and, uh, creating opportunities for, for people who are blind. And then it advises you to, to do informational interviews. And I strongly recommend that. So, Find, find someone who's doing what you want to do and contact them and ask if you can come talk to them. And 99.9% of the people are going to embrace you and want you to do that. I reached out to a woman who um, was CEO of Planned Parenthood of Western Washington. Um, went to meet with her and she, hearing my story, said, well... <laughs> Well, I was also a securities broker and I also decided I needed to pivot to the nonprofit sector. And I think you should do that be, by becoming a professional fundraiser because you've spent the last year, 10 years talking to people about financial matters and their financial goals. And there's a crying need for professional fundraisers in our uh, nonprofit field. So I started applying for nonprofit jobs and not getting them because I didn't have experience. And then again, a lot of things happened that I didn't have much to do with. But I I got a a newsletter from the Talking Book and Braille Library here in Seattle. It said uh, we have to raise $200,000 by the end of the year or close down one of our programs. So I called the head librarian whom I knew and just told, again, told her my story and said, how about I, I come down, you know, 20 hours a week and volunteer and raise you this 200 grand. And that'll give me something to put on my resume and I'll job hunt, you know, the, the rest of the time. So she said, you know, please. So I, uh, I got a, a book on tape from an outfit called recording for the blind and dyslexic and about writing grant proposals. I listened to that. She assigned me a, a, a library volunteer to read me the Washington state trust directory of foundations. So I, uh, I sent out a lot of letters of inquiry was invited to submit some grant proposals. I had what I now know was great beginner's luck and got a couple of pretty sizable checks pretty quickly. So they asked me if I would I would stay on. They created a position. So my first nonprofit job was as a development officer for the Seattle Public Library Foundation, raising money for the Talking Book and Braille Library. Super. And I did that for... about three, three and a half years, got super clear that the nonprofit sector was the place for me. And I went went back to school and got a master's in not-for-profit leadership. Had a couple other fundraising jobs. And then got a call from uh, the Lighthouse for the Blind here. They wanted to start a foundation and a fundraising program. And uh, they had heard there was a blind guy in town who knew how to do that. Would I want to come in uh, for an interview? So I, I, my wife and I went in and took a tour and I, I saw, you know, 120 blind and deaf blind machinists machine machining titanium and, uh, aluminum aircraft parts using cool computerized equipment and, you know, all voiced with voice synthesizers and braille displays. And we walked out the front door and, uh, my wife said, you, you have to come work here. So that kind of yes. set me in, into the, the, the path that's brought me to where I am now.
1: That is so cool. What a, what a story. I, a, a few of the things that you said, one is volunteering was a big thing. Um, yeah. but you'd mentioned within that is volunteering, but trying to do uh, something in the leadership role.
0: Yeah. I mean, every association is wants they, they need board members. They need committee members. They need people who will step up and chair something. They have events, they need someone to chair it. Um, they'll have a project, they need someone to lead it. So, you know, take, take, take a little, take little steps. Uh, volunteer to be on a committee or a, a task force or a, uh, event, event planning committee, you know, get, get your feet wet. And then, uh, you know, take, take bigger and bigger steps and keep, keep uh, taking on more and more responsibility and accountability. And it'll take you places.
1: I love that. I love it. And I think that's such good advice for everybody is to step up, take that, you know, take leadership roles and, and just it's like taking that step beyond other people. Like most people don't want to take that step into leadership or sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. But, you yeah. Um, the other thing that I love is that you you took a sales role. That's something that's. That's something I wish I would have taken way earlier on in uh-huh. my, um, and the confidence that you build in a sales role yep. is incredible and the empathy and to be able to talk to people and stuff. Um,
0: yeah. I, I actually had one of my econ professors at Whitman. He was a big advocate um, of that and he, he kind of pounded the table with his econ students. You know, if you, if you really, if you really want to know the world outside of this college you know, get in, move into sales at least for the beginning of your career
1: i think that's fantastic advice that is so cool um and then you got into the uh non um white house for the blind
0: yeah lighthouse with an l the light lighthouse, light, lighthouse, lighthouse line yep
1: mm-hmm. um and then well, I, I
0: started the foundation and I created a foundation board and I started the fundraising program. And then uh, about five years in, the CEO of the organization called me into his office and said, I'm going to retire in about three years. He'd been there 25 years and he, he was a sighted guy and an aerospace guy. And he said, you know, my legacy, I, when I leave here, I want a blind person running this organization. It's an organization to serve people who are blind. There should be a blind person running it, and would you want to put in the work so that you could be qualified to apply and be considered for the role? And I said, yes, yes, sir. So much to their credit as an organization, they hired an organizational development consultant, And she and I mapped my knowledge, skills and abilities against the competencies that I would need to have in order to be qualified for that job. And whenever there was a, wherever there was a gap, we put together a development plan. So for instance, would be aerospace manufacturing. I did not have expertise in aerospace manufacturing. So I needed to learn, um, you know, the AS 98. 9,100 ISO standards for aerospace. I needed to understand the supply chain. I needed to understand how the annual uh, price per part contract was negotiated with the Boeing company. Um, I had to know all of that. Um, The organization also does work for the federal government under a program called Ability One. They make all the -the on-the-move hydration for the Army, the Army's entrenchment tool, every whiteboard cork bulletin board and displays all purchased by the federal government. So I needed to learn the ability one, uh, program in and out, um, how the government contracting worked. So put it together about a 15 month development plan and they spent a lot of time and energy and money on preparing me much to their credit. And, um, you know, when, when it came time for the process, The board hired a search firm. Um, They sought applicants widely. I applied. Uh, I was given that opportunity uh, to become the president and CEO of the organization in 2008. And I was in that role for eight years before I went to the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, Undertook a really, really robust strategic planning process. And while I was there, we grew revenues from 27 million to 95 million we expanded into six or seven more locations and the the, the key thing we did is we we changed our metric uh, to focus on revenues per employee so we we were able to drive wages up for the blind and deafblind people in the businesses um, 40% across the board and get everybody to um, you know a livable wage so it was it was very successful um, transformational experience for me and kind of kind incredible. of pre- prepare prepared me to go to the American Foundation for the Blind and do you know do do the hard hard the heavy lift I talked about earlier to to get it turned around
1: wow incredible um how did you get into coaching uh i think just
0: by osmosis with individuals reaching out to me many blind people and parents of blind kids and just asking me for for advice or guidance or support. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now I'm mostly coaching private company owners around how to create a culture and environment that's inclusive of people with disabilities and how to um, create systems uh, to successfully um, recruit, hire, support, retain people with disabilities.
1: And that had, I mean, that had, that had to be tough to go out from the nonprofit sector where you had so much success into doing this coaching.
0: Again, it just kind of happened. The, um, I decided uh, to make a change early last year and, and, uh, you know, worked with the board on an exit and a succession And the AFB announced at the end of April that I would be leaving at the end of June. This is last calendar year. And, you know, five or six, seven people just contacted me and said, Hey, what are you going to do next? Um, Are you available? Can you help, can you help, (laughs) help us? Can you help me on this thing we're trying to do? So I I actually applied for a couple other CEO jobs um, and got fairly far down the interview process. And, um, then I got clear that I, I, I was ready for a different dynamic. I, I really didn't want to lead another organization. Um, report, reporting to a board of nonprofit volunteers, bless their hearts is a, a job in itself. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the employees, HR issues were increasingly, uh, vexing. Mm. So I just got, I, I, Many things in my life uh, seem to have just kind of happened as experiences build upon one another, not always intentionally. So my first person reached out to me. He he was connected to me by uh, one of the board members at AFB, a gentleman named Dan Adzaki. He owns a company called United Safety Technology. Early in the pandemic, he stood up domestic production of uh, ventilators and became uh, Department of Defense became a, a customer, so he became a vendor to DoD. And uh, as a result of that, he got a hundred million dollar grant from Department of Defense to stand up um, domestic production of medical gloves. Leased a former Bethlehem Steel plant outside of Baltimore, uh, importing uh, glove making equipment from Malaysia, where most of them are made. The Pentagon's decided we need domestic sourcing of PPE. And, uh, he has a severe learning disability. He's kept it hidden his whole life and he will have 2000 employees and he wants to make a difference in the world. And he, uh, he wants to have 30% of his employees, people with disabilities. So that's an opportunity to create 600 jobs, um, for people with disabilities. And he, he didn't know how to do it. So, you know, I, I, Met him uh, in Anderson, South Carolina. Walgreens has a distribution center. A guy named Randy Lewis was chief of supply chain. He's retired now. But in 2007, he was tasked with building a new distribution center from ground up. He has an autistic son. He got Walgreens leadership to commit to designing it to be inclusive of people with developmental disabilities. So for, they have 550 employees, uh, 40% people with disabilities. And they are the most productive of Walgreens 20 distribution centers. They have the lowest turnover, the lowest absenteeism, the best safety record, the best um, employee satisfaction. So I took uh, Dan and his team from United Safety Technology uh, to visit and spend the day uh, last September. And they just came out on fire, um, you know, determined to do the same thing. So you know, I've, 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 connected them with the right structures, the you know federally funded vocational rehabilitation system, the nonprofits in that space and, you know, help, help them understand how to develop a, a culture of inclusion. And, um, you know, that, that was my, that was my first client and, um, they're doing it. So I love <laughs> that. It's yeah. So cool. It's, yeah. it's,
1: what do, what do you think, I mean, besides the obvious, like, what, what are some of the misconceptions? I mean, why, why do you think it's just that people are scared?
0: Yeah, it's the unknown. I mean, blindness in particular is a low incidence disability. So many people have never interacted with a person who's blind um, in at any depth. They might have seen some, you know, in, inaccurate portrayals in the media, that type of thing. Um. And I think that the key is what I talked about earlier is looking at disability as a a strengths builder. Of course, there's limitations. If there's a job that requires driving a vehicle, if there's a job that requires graphics, um, those are challenges. But for 90% of the job functions in a manufacturing company, for instance, it can be adapted, so a blind person can do it, or a person who's deaf, or a person in a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, the, again, the conversation is, hey, you're, you're looking for employees with these characteristics, and you've just described the characteristics that people with disabilities have to develop in, in order to make it in this world that was not designed for us. Um, we have to be creative. We have to be brave. We have to be self-motivated. We have to n- never give up. Um, so that's the type of employee you want.
1: So you're just really connecting, connecting the dots there for somebody that's.
0: Yeah. And then show it to them. I mean, yeah. the, the Walgreens is a great example of a kind of a manufacturing distribution, warehousing type operation. Uh, Microsoft here across the lake has hundreds of blind people on their campus doing all kind of every, every job. They've, they're a leader there. Uh, Cisco in California is a, a leader. So there are examples, and um, you know, I th- I think of it sort of like the green um, environmental movement. You know, in the seventies, people started talking about carbon footprint and zero waste stream and lead certified buildings and you know, making the green choice. And it was all new and um, foreign, and now it's just ubiquitous. Everyone knows what all those things mean. Every company touts themselves as you know environmentally. Uh, friendly. And I, I think right. disability inclusion is starting to feel like that a little bit. Um, there are more and more companies who are uh, engaged. There's actually a, an organization called Disability IN, and I'm going to their conference in Orlando in two weeks. And that's 450 companies, 70 of the Fortune 100 that have made commitments to disability inclusion uh, in their workforce in designing and marketing their products and services and also in their supply chain. So they have a certified disability owned business enterprise program where they certify businesses as disability owned and they've all made all the 450 member companies and made commitments to doing business with them. So there's, there's nice pockets of, um, traction happening, uh, markedly, um, more so than, 10 years ago.
1: I love it. Uh, so there's course, hope. There is hope. There is hope. So if you're coming into an organization, and I think that this could yeah. really help some business owners out there, yeah. um, you mentioned something about a culture of inclusion. How can yeah. we create a business of, of inclusion?
0: Well, there's 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 some things that are a little bit standard. So there needs to be buy-in from the top. So the the CEO um, needs to authentically want want it to happen. Um, There needs to be someone in the C-suite who's accountable. Mm. There needs to be a formal statement from the CEO and or the board. Um, So so those are kind of the, the, the first things. The creation of... Spaces for people to talk about it, um, whether uh, depending on the size of the organization, there could be employee resource groups. Um, like kind of they started out with like w- women engineers, kind of started the first ones because there weren't very many women in engineering, but they created a space to be able to support one another. Um, many of the larger companies have multiple employee resource groups based on affinity. Um, they always include allies, but a, a, a disability-related employee resource group is a great thing. Um, if it's an organization that has a board, um, looking at board diversity and inclusion, thinking about not, 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 and there's a difference between what we would call diversity and what we call inclusion. So it's not just checking a box. You know, we've we've got a person from ethnic group X. It's right. more like We need a, we need a patent attorney on our board. Let's be really intentional about making sure we have a, a a very inclusive group of potential board members. Um, let's not just invite our friends. Let's, um, put in effort to start broadening the representation on our board. Um, same with the C suite. So those are, those are some things.
1: I like that you said that to not just check the box of the of uh, diversity because th- it just feels so m- much like, yeah, we're, happening.
0: we're, we're, we're past that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 you know, inclusion is, is a mo- much more proactive concept because you're actually reaching out and including people. Now, now people are starting to say diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So, you oh, know, I love that you know, how do people feel they really belong to the team or part, they're part of the team.
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, every organization should have regardless, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like there has to be a culture of just everybody working together as a team and feeling feeling Yeah, like they belong.
0: And and, and you, you know, you can't have a team of of all quarterbacks. You can't have a team of all point guards. (laughs) You You can't have a team of all left fielders, you need need, uh, a well rounded group that has complementary skills. And if you are not being inclusive of everybody who's a potential teammate, you're 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 robbing your organization of skills that you you could be adding.
1: Yep. Um, One topic I'm I'm curious about is how is AI affected? Um, I imagine? Yeah, it's 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 helping a lot.
0: Uh yes, and no. So you know AI is made up of data and data sets, and most data sets are generated by people without disabilities. There is a digital divide. People with disabilities use technology less than than people without disabilities. so we're under our data is underrepresented. So it's starting to get better, but kind of set at the beginning, for instance, when AI was used in HR recruiting, like s- screen out anyone who has a gap of employment of six months or more, we, a lot of people with disabilities are going to have gaps in their employment or wow. screen out people who um, weren't promoted for five years. <laughs> not make you know so a lot of people with disabilities have gotten stuck in in jobs that aren't great that they've feel underemployed mm. um, promotions and upward mobility is less for people with disabilities so that so that's an example of how it actually has had a um, negative impact on some of those screening things based on um, under underrepresented data points for people with disabilities on the other hand um, it's helping um, like it's helping everyone else. So, yeah. um,
1: I imagine with like, with AI generated art, as you mentioned earlier, like obviously graphic design. Yeah. um, I just imagine that and a lot of what makes AI great is like the idea, like the creativity of prompting Mm -hmm. and data sets and how to, so I could just imagine that it, it could be such a strength.
0: Yeah. And, you know, from my perspective as a blind person, there's always extra steps. Um, you know, a lot of websites and apps aren't accessible because they weren't designed to interface with our screen reading software. Um, you know, buttons that aren't labeled, you don't know what they are. Images that don't have alt text. So it just says image and then a, you know, string of computer. So AI can really be a time. Time saver on yeah. a lot of the stuff. Um, so yes, the uh, gr- great promise. And then, uh, then uh, autonomous vehicles. A lot of excitement in the finance community about autonomous vehicles, yeah. and uh, they're starting to emerge, and people are starting to use them. And you know, transportation has been a huge barrier to employment success. So, um, whenever we do re- research and uh, ask, you know, what are the what are the greatest barriers to your successful employment as a person with a disability? It's all, it's always a tie or a a trading off for number one and number two being employer attitudes and or transportation. Mm -hmm. But now, um, silver lining to the pandemic uh, remote work has become much more normalized. And um, that presents a lot of opportunities for people with disabilities, especially those who don't live where there's good, public transportation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, Kirk, what is something that I didn't ask that you want to be known that, that it should be known?
0: Um, That there are lots of resources in existence and structures that are funded to create employment outcomes for people with disabilities. And, the business community is largely disconnected with them. So the Department of Education has a department called the Rehabilitation Services Administration. They fund state agencies in every state whose mission is to get people with disabilities employed. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher. Uh, AFB is a research organization. So doing research... Less than 10% of the companies who say they want to hire more people with disabilities are connected with the vocational rehabilitation system. And the voc rehab system has thousands of people with disabilities with individual plans for employment, clarity on the kind of work they want, have their resumes, they can um, pay for training, uh, they can pay for any equipment or accommodations that the person needs. They can pay for salaries during an on-the-job training period. They can provide job coaches. They have billions of dollars, thousands and thousands of staff. And uh, their outcomes are not very good uh, as far as the percentage of people they place into employment every year. And, uh, you know, they're a government. They're a government bureaucracy, which has all, all the things, but um, <laughs> they are there. And then there's also a nonprofit community in every, you know, major city of any size. There are multiple nonprofits who have philanthropic funding uh, with the same mission to create great employment outcomes for people with disabilities. And they're largely disconnected with the business community. So what I do isn't, isn't rocket science. I you know, find an employer who uh wants to supercharge their uh, bottom line business results by enhancing, accelerating their talent by including people with disabilities. And then I uh, coach them through connecting with the correct resources that already exist and um, getting everyone around the table who who, who can bring what um, asset to this project of um, creating employment opportunities for, for people with disabilities with this company.
1: I love that. And uh, so much of what you spoke about today is just w- would only help a business owner with their core business, regardless of, of helping people with disabilities Like it's just, it's almost like more empathy and more care overall. Yeah. think A little deeper.
0: Well, if you go to Walgreens in Anderson, South Carolina and sit down with management, they will tell you, I've never worked at a place like this. I've never looked forward to coming to work like I do. I've never worked somewhere where everyone cares about each other. Everyone is um, constantly actively supporting one another and not just the people with disabilities, everybody in the building. And that's the cultural transformation that happens.
1: I love that. Kirk, how can somebody get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, um... I'm, I'm, uh, on LinkedIn a lot. So LinkedIn is great. And my email address is just my first and last name followed by three zeros at Gmail. So Kirk Adams, K I R K A D A M S 0 0 0 at gmail.com.
1: Love it. Thank you so much, Kirk. Thank and you.
0: The time yeah, flew
1: I just want to say, man, like with everything that you've been through, I love that you're just, um, have such a track record of helping others. And I, I think it's so cool what you've done and been able to accomplish and just, um, and I love that you've been able to pivot and, and you just kind of follow your heart with that. And yeah. Help others. Super cool. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, if you look back on it, it looks like I had a, I followed a great plan, which I didn't really, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a good place now.
1: <laughs> love it. Well, I appreciate it. I yeah, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.